You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way. The faith. You'll tell you when to sit down. How about that? <laughs> let's give them a big God bless you. God bless you, Dennis. You're on. Yeah. Glory to God. Let me get this. Green light. Stay standing just for a moment. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad I'm back. Praise the Lord. We are celebrating. Say it out loud. I'm celebrating. And it's all about Jesus, isn't it? But here's the thing in, in his mind, and this is, this is amazing. I just love what Pastor Box was just talking about. But it's so amazing. We come, and for us, we want to shift our thinking, if we have to, so that it is all about Jesus. It's not about a dozen other things. It is about Him, His work, His ministry, His gift, His giving. And yet, when He shows up, anywhere He shows up, God so loved that He gave. He didn't give just once. He just keeps on. He's the gift that keeps on giving. And uh, so He didn't come just to receive or to take. He came to give and... He came to give to you. I know that's not news for you, but I just want that to be at the top of your thinking today. Because we come and don't want in any way to be self-centered. And that doesn't really work in the kingdom at all. But at the same time, God is the epitome of not being self-centered. He is all about, as Pastor was talking about, he's all about giving. And uh, so he's come not only to receive, but he has come to give. And you have every right to expect to receive in the next few minutes some things from him that will be life-changing for you. Amen? Let me try that again. Amen? Amen. Everybody still here? Glory to God. All right, go ahead and be seated. As always, it's a delight coming back, being here in Hebronville. You know, you guys really are way to the south. You know that, don't you? At least for a guy like me, you know, people that I know, you tell them to, I'm headed towards San Antonio. Oh, man, that's really south. Oh, it's really not. There's a bunch more. Glory to God. I love you guys and love this ministry. I'm glad to be back at Faithway. You know, at this time of year, so many things are going on. We're capping off what's been going on for the year. We're celebrating Jesus. We're thinking about people. We're wanting to be a blessing to people. We'd like to have relationships mended and healed that have been messed up all year. So that it's, you know, a pleasant experience. You know, Christmas is not a pleasant experience for just everybody. And maybe you're one of those that's going through it. 
uh, I understand that. God wants to provide something in you and heal something in you where you're uh, clear in Him to be able to enjoy who He is, what this time is all about without the encumbrance of painful ideas and painful relationships. So I'm going to pray right from the outset for you that He would, and here's what He says in Psalm 65:11, that He would crown the year... This how, let me just read Psalm 65, 11. It says, You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. That's a great statement. And I use that statement at the beginning of the year. That's how I like to start a year, declaring that that's what it's going to look like. But here at the end of a year, you know, sometimes the crowning is at the end of the year, not just at the beginning. And so I'm praying for you right now, every one of you, whether you're going through tough issues or not, everybody's going through something. And I'm praying for you exactly what Psalm 65, 11 says, that God would crown you and your year. Even here at the end of the year, He would crown your year with His goodness so that we walk in His path that drips with abundance. I love that concept, that idea, that terminology, that it drips with, it's overflowing with abundance. Abundance of what? Abundance of joy, abundance of peace, abundance of right standing with Him. The kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, joy, all the things that are really meaningful, that last, that He would crown your year with that kind of abundance. So, Father, I lay hold on that for every single one of us in this house, in the name of Jesus, everyone that's joined us online, that this would be a crowning season, that not only are you, Lord Jesus, crowned as King of Kings, but that you've crowned our life and our situation with your abundance in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Amen. You know, while you were talking, Pastor, I went to those some of the verses you mentioned, and I've, I've gotten to using the Passion Translation a lot of times. And let me just read a couple of statements from Proverbs chapter 11 that you read, which you handled really great, but this just went off in me. Because he uses the very terminology you're talking about here. He says, generosity brings prosperity. That's a great line just in itself. Generosity brings prosperity, but withholding from charity brings poverty. Then he goes on, the next verse, verse 25, those who live to bless others will have blessings heaped upon them. And the one who pours out his life To pour out blessings will be saturated with favor. I like that. I'm glad I read that. Thanks for pointing that out, Pastor. Glory to God. So take it personal. You know, I'm just kind of recapping. This is what I go through a lot of times. Pastors get up after I speak and recap everything I just said. And now I'm getting to do that for the pastor. That's really quite cool. Generosity brings prosperity. 
Being stingy doesn't. Those that are withholding, withhold for selfish purposes, thinking they're going to run out. Here's the thing about walking in the things of God. When you realize that God is your source, and He uses our jobs, He uses, you know, investing, He uses a variety of ways to bring resources into our life. But when we are, when we're looking to Him as our source, He makes it clear that when you give, it'll be given, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall it be given back to you instead of thinking we're going to be running out, it is going to be running over. And the reason people don't have that generous mindset is the fear of running out. And God says if we will honor Him, He honors us. And this is how it works. You say, well, you know, I've, I have run out before. I've tried that giving and run out. Well, there's got to be some faith involved in what God has said. We're not just trying it. We're doing it. And we lay hold on the fact that generosity brings prosperity. I want you to say it out loud. Generosity brings prosperity. Glory to God. That's a shift in a mindset, isn't it? Because it's not just about gathering, it's about giving. It's not just about taking it in, it's about giving it out. I know you know that, but this is the season for this. But it really can cap off what the whole year could have been, and it can start a brand new habit as to the way next year is going to be. I had the Holy Spirit say something to me a few days ago, and as I was praying about my own mindset and stepping into the next year, capping off this year, but this point in time was really about moving off into next year and things that, that I have before the Lord and, and ministry. And I caught this idea blowing through my brain, and I want you to catch this idea also. We go into this next year fearless, filled with faith, and surrounded by favor. All of those are biblical concepts that don't require a change in the calendar in order to take hold of. But I just laid hold on this in a new way because for me and really for society, watching how things go, there is a huge, huge uh, emphasis from all kinds of directions to spark fear over the days ahead. Fear of diseases, fear of economic collapse, fear of recession, fear of job loss, fear of whatever. There's been a lot of fear peddling going on. It goes on nonstop. Now, it does depend on who you listen to as to how much of that is really getting through to you. So you might want to monitor what you're taking in so that you're not just meditating constantly on the fear-producing mindset. But the fear peddling has been, sadly, quite successful. When you look at now, I, I, I probably shouldn't get off into all this, but, you know, I feel free around Pastor Kelvin. 
You know, the fear over disease and the fear that we were, we were subject to over COVID and over ongoing repercussions from that has really cost people. People have paid a price for it, not only on their job, but in their health, because as people embrace the fear, here's the sad fact, the fear caves in to the disease and really paves the way for a person to embrace a disease that Jesus said, you've been delivered from. Said out loud, I am delivered. I've been delivered. I am delivered. I will always be delivered in Jesus' name. You know, that's how the Apostle Paul started the book of, of uh, 2 Corinthians. I've, am, or I've been delivered. I am delivered. I will always be delivered. What a great statement in the midst of fearful things. And he was talking about the pressures that he's been through and the trouble that he's experienced. So look, this doesn't mean that we haven't experienced or don't experience trouble. It doesn't mean that we haven't uh, experienced COVID or the flu or some other issue hasn't, hasn't come up, man. But here's what we know. The fear feeds the problem and really advances the trouble. And this is why we drive a stake in the ground and we declare in Jesus' name that we are stepping into a time of fearlessness. Not being afraid of our past, not being afraid of our future, not being afraid of the fear-peddling issues, whatever the latest one is. So I choose to make next year a year that is fearless. I choose to make next year, and I'm just going to go ahead and start it ahead of time, like this year, filled with faith. That doesn't mean we hadn't been standing in faith already, but what it does mean is we're going to fill up whatever has been lacking when it comes to the issue of standing in faith. Now, you know enough about faith here at Faith Way Church to understand some things, but faith is really not just faith that God exists. I mean, the devil believes God exists. That doesn't help him at all. It's, it's not faith that there is a God that he refers to when we're talking about living by faith, where the Bible says the just shall live by faith. It is not just faith that God exists. It is faith that understands that God has meant what He said, that He's had a plan for our life, and it's a great plan filled with the goodness that we just read about from Psalm 65. That He really designed and desired a kingdom full of family, but family that He's able to empower and enrich. Said out loud, I am part of that family that he empowers and he enriches. Glory to God. You see, that's more than just showing up for a service on Sunday. And by the way, I'm glad you're here for this service on Sunday. 
But it's a lot more than that. It is the lifestyle of faith. It is living by the authority of the word with an expectation. And doing the kinds of things in our life that will enhance what that expectation can bring. You still with me? Amen. Praise God. We've been designed by God to be able to handle anything that comes on this planet. In spite of the days ahead and people's opinions and even what Scripture talks about regarding the end times, we are in the last days. And I'm, I'm of the opinion, and I feel I've got reason to believe it, that we are in the last of the last days. That things really are coming to a conclusion. I mean, the last days technically began on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. That was when the Holy Spirit came like the prophet Joel prophesied. And what Peter said about that is this is that which the prophet Joel prophesied, that in the last days the Holy Spirit would be poured out. Well, that began on the day of Pentecost, all those years ago, so we have been in the last days for a long time. But there's also signs of the times that you understand we are in those signs of the times of last days. And all... All that means for us in bringing it up is that things are culminating and you and me must be mentally in a position where we're not being distracted by the issues that are coming on the earth, but that we remain plugged into the promise so that we receive and we have protection regardless of what's come. I mean, Jesus said it this way. He capped off all of his ministry teaching. John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, In this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows. How many of you have seen that to actually come to pass? We've all lived through trouble and sorrows. And Jesus said that would happen. Being a Christian doesn't exempt you from going through the times. But here's what he does say. He said, but you must be courageous. For I have conquered the world. Glory to God. Courage connects you to conquering. He said, you must be courageous. I did a little study just on the English word courage out of just the dictionary. And one dictionary described it this way. It was to be buoyant in spirit. Now, you know what it means to be buoyant. You pull something under the water, let it go, right back to the top it goes. Man, why? Because it's buoyant. You can't keep it down. Things come to try to drag a person under, but courage kicks it loose. That doesn't have a right to remain in me. And the courageous in Christ float right back to the top of victory in Jesus' name. 
That's not pie in the sky, man. This is really the system God designed. But Jesus said, you must be courageous. God is not courageous for us. We have to embrace that buoyant spirit and maintain that courage. When trouble and sorrowful times come, and something hits you, hits your house, hits your family, hits your relationship, tries to drag you under, no, I refuse to allow this to overwhelm me. In the name of Jesus, I'm rising up to the top. I'm courageous. And here's how Jesus said, he said, be courageous. You must be courageous, for I have overcome the world. Now look, you realize when you're, you're reading this, you realize this is some of the darkest moments in the entire life of Jesus prior to being crucified. All of hell has, has really rallied its forces against Jesus personally. Judas has already betrayed him at the moment that he says those words. Those that were coming to arrest him have already gathered. And it was a mob, the Bible says. Religious leaders and Roman soldiers gathered together to arrest Jesus. And they're gathering as Jesus is saying, I have overcome the world. It wasn't just those on the outside or naturally gathering. It was also all the demonic forces. I mean, what God declared in Genesis 3.15, one will come, and talking to the serpent and Satan, one will come who will crush your head from that point forward until this point of Jesus' life. Satan was looking for the one that was being prophesied about in Genesis 3.15. But once Jesus came and the voice of the Father came right out of the sky... Jesus coming up out of the waters of baptism, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Suddenly, all of hell knew exactly who the one was that was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. So now, by the time this event takes place at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus has faced pressure after pressure, strategy after strategy, satanic forces throughout his entire ministry, and yet he says at this seemingly dark time, I have overcome the world. Some around him would have thought he was crazy. Some of his disciples might have had a little bit of a challenge with that that description of the way it looked. But there's something being modeled for us that you come to realize that Jesus faced every kind of pressure. You have faced a variety, but not every kind of pressure. He took on this pressure, this squeeze, this attack of the systems of the world and satanic pressure. He took it on on your behalf. He had the capacity to deal with things far differently than he did. But he went through this humanity experience in order to elevate you, not to elevate him. He was already elevated before he was born as a baby. You realize that? He took on flesh, not for his sake, but for yours and mine. 
He identified with humanity totally by becoming human so that he could impact all of humanity and give access to the very presence and power of the Father by being born of the Spirit of God like he was. Glory to God. Talk about a reason to celebrate. We've got it. He elevated mankind. I've said this here before. But he elevated mankind to where God wanted mankind all along. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he created an environment where God and mankind, Adam and Eve at that point, would have perfect and unobstructed fellowship. But authority had been given to Adam and Eve to have dominion over that garden and over all of the birds of the air, fish in the sea, and creepy things that crawled on the earth, even creeps. And you know what happened. We talk about it all the time. You guys teach it here, but I just have it in the text and context of where I'm going. Satan came and messed it up. So Jesus came and fixed it up. And gave back to man what God originally had intended for man, and that was authority to rule and reign in life. I don't have authority to rule and reign over you. But I have authority to rule and reign in my own life. To rule my mindset, my emotions, my body, my finances. And do it in Christ. Not, not uh, independent of Him. But in Him I have the capacity. You have that capacity. Each one of us. Jesus came to give that to us. To bring us back to God's original design and original intent for people. We've lived very far below all of that and for various reasons. But there are certain tools that God has given us to help us rise up. Thank you for that, that help. That was greatly timed. And so I want to read something to you with that in mind. Some things that God's had me focused on for some time now that God really gave me that uh, direction to take you through this biblical study. How many of you are ready to study? That wasn't very enthusiastic, but I'm going to take it as a positive. In Psalm 77, the writer of this psalm, Asaph, was a head appointed to be the leader of the worship that went on in King David's time. King David literally appointed Asaph to be the chief of the worshiping that went on in those days. And so he was quite a powerful and quite a a, uh, connected man of God. But like anyone, like everyone, he faced things just like you and I face things. 
And he does something for us in Psalm 77 to help you see that guys in his position go through questions, but press through questions in order to obtain answers. The right kind of answers. You don't get the right answers by asking the wrong questions. But he goes through a series of things here. Let me read down to it, beginning in verse 1. I'll use the New King James here. Where he said, I cried out to God with my voice, and to God with my voice. And he gave ear to me. And in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. That's the right thing to do. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul, now watch this, my soul refused to be comforted. That's an interesting way of stating something. He was not being comforted, though he was reaching out to God. Watch what he goes on to say. He said, I remembered God and was troubled. I complained. And my spirit was overwhelmed. What we have here is a biblical prescription for how to be defeated and overwhelmed. He cried out to God. I mean, he's doing the right thing, but he's doing it with the wrong mindset. He remembered God, but what he remembered about God didn't serve to bring him into victories. What he was remembering about God, he doesn't go into detail, but apparently what he was remembering about God was that he's done things for some, but he's not done much for me in the deal that I'm facing right now. Because he ends up remembering God, but troubled. Sounds like a lot of people, really, that I know, they have questions about God. I know God's a loving God, but why this and why that? And why wouldn't he do a better job at being God? They never say it that way. But they have the feeling like if God's so much about love and giving and forgiveness and all the things we believe in, then why am I not experiencing more of it myself? He remembered God and he was troubled. And like a lot of people, he didn't just keep that trouble to himself. He complained. Complaining is at epidemic level. People will complain, get offended, get hurt about the craziest stuff. The hat you wear, that offends me. Whatever. Don't get me started. I'm feeling like I'm right on the edge, Pastor. So what does he say? He said, I remember God and I was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. But drop down to verse 7. He goes into a little more detail on this. Of how overwhelmed he was and the questions that he asked. Six questions that he gives us here. Verse 7, he said, will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. Think about all that. Six questions that sort of summarize 
just about all unbelief and misconceptions about God. And of course, when you read these questions in a setting we're in right now, you realize, and you could realize at any point, that the answer to every one of those questions is exactly the same. It is a resounding no. No, God has not forgotten to be gracious. No, it is not true that He will be favorable no more. No, it is not true that His mercy has ceased. No, it is not true that His promises have failed forever. No, it's not true that He's forgotten to be gracious. No, it's not true that He's anger and has shut up His mercy. All of this is no. Sadly, people still ask these kind of questions because they're under pressure, they're going through whatever it is, and they are hoping God will just wave, like one person said to Vicky, wave His magic wand and turn this around. For one thing... God is not a wizard. He doesn't have a magic wand. And while He turns things around, He requires faith for people to receive His influence and His impact. And instead of sounding like these people, Asaph gives us a whole different direction of how to embrace real answers. Dropping down to verse 10, it starts to shift in this psalm. Now watch this. So Asaph says, I said, this is my anguish. But, everybody say but. You got to know that when there's a but, everything that comes after the but changes everything that came before the but. It's this way, but... This is what changes it. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Verse 11, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember His wonders of old. He's about to give us three concepts that are absolutely vital to turning any situation that we're in in a positive God influence direction. Does that interest you? Well, it should. Because we're all facing things and having some questions about what's going on in these days unless you've allowed these three different things to be a part of your life right now. He said, I will remember the works of the Lord. Now, he later gives an example. We'll probably get to it here in a moment. Of Israel coming out of Egypt and going through the Red Sea and God dividing that sea. That's an example of the work of the Lord that is used over and over and over again throughout Scripture. The Exodus. The great deliverance that God brought through Moses. How many of you saw the movie? Anybody? One person saw it. was a Thank you. A great movie. Charlton Heston. Moses. Dividing the Red Sea. God's wonders of old. Now, Asaph lives long after those events that took place in the Exodus. 
But what he's pointing to is I will remember the wonders of old, even, even that old. One of the great reasons for you to read the Bible, and there's a lot of them, but one of the reasons is it is packed with concepts of God's works and what he did in others and how that can paint the picture of things God wants to do for you. We have to connect the dots and let the Holy Spirit help us understand how meaningful these things can be when we read a story in Scripture. You read about a miracle of Jesus and you realize that he didn't do that just for one person. He did that for anybody that would come to him. And the Bible's clear that anybody that did come to him, he healed them. Now, there were those in, the, in Jesus' time that were not healed. On the road to Jericho at one point, there was many beggars that would have lined the roads that led to Jericho where Jesus was walking, but there was only one beggar that received a miracle, and that was blind Bartimaeus. And why was it that he was the only one? Because he was the only one that called out on Jesus. Jesus had already passed him by when he stood up and shouted out, knowing that Jesus had passed by. He had heard the commotion and understood that it was Jesus and had heard of the miracles that Jesus had done. He had to have. There would have been other beggars, possibly other blind beggars on that road, but Bartimaeus was the one who received. Does that mean Jesus didn't love all of them? Not at all. But it, it just helps you understand that not everybody is going to receive from God, but it's those who will lock in, access God's presence, call on Jesus, and put themselves in a position to receive. I mean, we know this. We know that it's God's plan and will and design and desire for everybody to be saved. That's what the Bible says. But we also know not everybody is saved and not everybody will be saved. And why is that? It's not on God. It doesn't mean God doesn't love. It doesn't mean that God's withholding. God's made it available. But like anything in the kingdom, you have to embrace it and make it your own. And this is what Asaph has given us here. He's given us the concepts that give some detail as to how you do that. And one of them is by selective memory. You have to choose what you are going to allow your brain to, to remember and feed on. You know, we all have painful things and things that were said or not said, things that were done or not done, people that ripped us off, or people that did whatever they did, issues that didn't go well. You can feed on that and keep yourself in a position of anger, upset, trauma, disgust, discouragement, and some people are excellent at remembering, like a scribe, all of the events that have taken place. And this is one of those tough times of the year when that becomes an even bigger issue. So Asaph gives us this idea that he will choose what he remembers. These are the replays of the past in the movie that's in your mind. 
replaying what? What do you replay on a regular basis? How bad the Christmas of 95 was? How hard things were? How many things didn't happen? What are you replaying in your mind? What was said to you over one event or another? Or how you were treated on the job? Is that your replay? We all have memories, and that's not to say those memories are necessarily to be totally ignored. But here's the thing. If you feed on these things, it keeps you in a position of weakness because you're feeding on what creates weakness and feeds the fear that it'll happen again. So Asaph says, I'll remember this. I'm going to remember God's works. I'll remember His wonders. I'll remember what He's done. For you and me, we can remember what Jesus has done. The finished work. The price that He paid. All that He's gone through to take on humanity. To live as a man. To go through all of the same trash that people go through. Though he is the king of kings and lord of lords, he subjects himself to all of that without anybody really embracing what he was doing. Even his closest disciples, they weren't clear on this for years after the resurrection. Not really totally clear that what Jesus did was for everybody, including Gentiles. It took ten years for even the apostles to grab that. So we have the opportunity to look back at the wonders of old that Jesus overwhelmed and overcame every work of the devil, delivered anybody from sin, sickness, demons, and fear, gave us the right to live in joy even when our happiness is being threatened. You realize there's a difference. We were singing about joy. That was so good. You recognize there's a huge difference between happiness, that's because of things around you, and joy... That's based on what's been deposited in you. It's the joy that is our strength. That's where strength comes from, according to Scripture. That's what the Bible says. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Someone born of the Holy Spirit has the capacity for joy. And that is even in the face of unhappy conditions. Glory to God. But it takes handling the replays correctly. Thank God you can go through fast forward. I don't know if we even still have to use fast forward, do we? I might be dating myself again. You can just pick a spot when you're going through a replay. The replays of the past are important, but they have to be the right replays. Say, yeah, but it happened, Dennis. I'm not going to deny it. Okay, that's fine. And it did happen. And you don't have to deny it, but you can deny it the right to continue to control you. You can deny those memory issues the right to continue to fashion and shape your day today and the future that you have. They will. What you choose to remember will fashion and shape the things for the way it's going to go today and the way it's going to go this coming week, or in the days ahead. 
That's the very next point that he makes here. Not only does he say in verse 11, I will remember your works. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. But then he says in verse 12, he said, I will also meditate on all your work. I want you to notice, it's all about the work. But one concept was what has happened, the replay. Now he's introducing the preplay. By meditation. Meditation in some translations can also be translated imagination. While imagination is not the only thing about meditation that we can learn, you understand there is a power in how you choose to meditate. What goes on in your head. It is designed by God. It's a gift from God that God's given every one of us an imagination to be able to not only remember the past, but imagine the days ahead and see them in the light of the promise and the provision that God has provided through Jesus. That our days ahead are riddled with the blessing and not experiencing and going through again the same things that we've experienced that were painful in the past. I've been talking about these kinds of things for quite some time because God's had to pry some things out of my own life and here's how it goes. God gets on me, then I get to get on you. Part of my job. So that doesn't make me an expert, but it might make me just slightly ahead Because he's been on me about some things for quite some time now. So I come here and then I get to get on you each time I come. And I appreciate that, Pastor, every time I get to come. I will also meditate on your work. I wrote a little book years ago. In fact, it was the first book I wrote. It's on how to meditate in God's Word. God's had me locked into that subject for a long time. Because there is such a clear need for the people of God to be able to connect what God has done within them in their spirit in the new birth and connect that with their thinking, with their soul, with their mindset, with how they envision and how they see things playing out, not only based on their past, but based on the promise so that they can see the provision that God wants to bring into their life. How to meditate in God's Word. Meditation is not, or biblical meditation rather, is not like Eastern religious meditation. Some teach meditation as just clearing your mind of everything and bringing it to nothing so that that you can have calm. Having nothing in your brain has for some been a way of life. (laughs) No, that was a cold shot. But uh, for some, having nothing in their brain comes through a chant or a mantra. And that's what some teach in order. And I know it gets deeper and goes into different directions. But here's biblical meditation, totally different. It is not to clear your mind of everything so you can gain calm or nirvana or whatever they want to 
call it, depending on who you're listening to. But meditation is about filling your mind, filling your brain with the ideas that will serve a purpose and serve, in, in our case, as believers, will serve the plan that God has for us. And this is where the imagination kicks in, because your imagination is designed to be like a canvas that you can paint anything you want onto. And you take what God has said, the promises that He's made, the examples that He's given us, you take these and allow those to create a picture or a movie of you being in the picture, seeing the provision or the miracle or the deliverance or whatever God can do and wants to do in your life. You get to see a movie in your mind of you being the center stage person of the story. And imagine God doing for you or your house or your family what He's designed that He wants to do. The imagination. What we can't do is let our imagination run wild with all of the pre-plays that feed on the wrong kind of replay so that we end up creating more of the same experience and have a repeat. Does that make sense to you? Two or three. All right. All right, well, I'm working hard up here. <laughs> Memories are the replay. Imaginations are the preplay of our future. They can be. Well, they are, whether you're going to imagine things going well or things going wrong. The imaginations become the, the pattern or the path that you're going to end up walking in. And God wants to be a part of it and shift it in the right direction. Your, your family deserves for you to be able to see things with God's blessing on them and on you. You deserve it. No matter what the devil has told you, or maybe even others have told you, you don't deserve the heartache and the issues that Satan has designed against you. You don't deserve it. You may have cooperated with it. You may have enhanced it. Maybe you could have handled it better. No question about it. In most every case, you could have. But in the end, what you deserve, based on Jesus now, not based on your own merit, but what you deserve is the best that God has. And it's all because of what Jesus did. You don't deserve it because you deserve it. That sounds weird. But you do deserve it because Jesus gave it. Glory to God. Little kids pick up Christmas presents, and it's got a name on it, and if somebody starts to open the Christmas present with the wrong name on it... Wait a minute, that's not yours. That doesn't have your name on it. You don't deserve that. Oh, they wouldn't use that word, they just attack. Grab it, the fight is on. Wrong name was on it. Well, I just picked it up, I didn't mean it. But in Christ, we deserve every single thing that God has given. 
Only because of what Jesus did. He paid a price, so you get the gift. Glory to God, man. That's, that's good news. That would have been worth shouting over right there. That was a good one. He gives us a third concept here I want to give you. You still with me here? So what's the first one? Anybody remember what the first one is? Just like ten minutes ago, and I even gave you a I even gave you a hint. It is to remember. Anybody remember what the second one is? It is to meditate and imagine. Let your soul create the pictures of God working in your life. That you're the healed, not the dying, not the dead. That you're restored and recovered. That God has blessed your life with long life. That you're not just at the end now, just coming in for a landing. You're in your golden years and it's about over. Satan would love to paint a picture that your days are numbered. And you're on the short single digits of those numbers. We choose to imagine and meditate. But here's the third thing he said again in verse 12. He said, I will also meditate on all your works and talk of your deeds. Not only remembering the right things and imagining what God is doing, but putting it in our mouth. Making it a declaration. Making it our own personal proclamation. Creating something that will set a tone for you every single day. A personal word, a personal proclamation. You know, I've had to re-examine some things. I've had a friend, Vicki and I have a very good friend. She's a psychiatrist, psychologist, spirit-filled, glorious lady. And uh, she puts out a blog on a regular basis. Her name's Dr. Nisi Moore. And uh, <clears throat> you can sign up for it, I'm sure, somehow. But she talks about a variety of things. And one of the things she's been teaching and talking about that Vicki and I have taken and are are handling ourselves in a way she described, it just helped put a pattern to things that we've done in meditating the Word and in walking it out and putting the Word first place and starting our day with the presence of God in our life. But it put it into a structure that is really pretty cool to go through. She starts and talks about starting the year with a power word, a single word that she makes an acronym out of. Positive word, unshakable, unstoppable, inspired, advance. Or whatever word speaks to your soul. And making an acronym out of that. That each letter becomes a word or a concept of your power word. And starting the day, rolling out of bed... Not thinking about how bad it is, how many aches and pains you have, and how rough it was yesterday, and what a bad day you have ahead today, or whatever your starts your day. Or maybe you start your day scrolling through the news or Facebook. 
Maybe you start your day looking at some of the worst things you could possibly look at so that you can set the tone for a really crummy day. And then have to scrap and fight your way out of it. Now, some of you don't use uh, phone and iPads and stuff like that, and maybe that's to your benefit. But if you do, harnessing how you handle that and handle those first moments and even minutes and, and hours of the day can make a gigantic difference in how things can go for that day. Making a personal proclamation or confession. Now, we've used this for years, where we are speaking what God says about God, about God in our life, and about ourselves. That God's a good God, that I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ, that He's blessed everything I set my hands to, that I have the right to live healed and restored, strong, prosperous, that he's, His influence is on everything in my life. And you just find different things from Scripture and from the Word that set a tone right at the beginning of your day so that you can watch that impact your whole day. And when your head gets taken in a different direction, as it can real easily, some memory, some imagination that is not really harmonizing with God at all, you can recognize it and pull it back in. Nope, wait, nope, wait. I'm not, I'm not going that way. I'm not going to allow that to gain ground inside of me. But I'm going back to my power word and my proclamation. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, I've appreciated that from Nisi. Let me read something to you. Well, let me... All right. All right, I've got two more things at least. Can you take just a little more? Everybody all right? Have I bored you? Oh, that was the right answer. Thank you for that. Down at the end of this chapter of 77, Psalm 77. Verse 19, he said, Your way was in the sea... Your path in the great waters and your footsteps were not known. He's talking about that deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. That's where he ends, this passage. When they came up to the edge of the Red Sea, there was nowhere to go. They were in a physical location where they couldn't go to the right. There was... There was cliffs on each side preventing them from going left or right. All there was was the sea ahead and the Egyptian army to the rear. That was it. But here was an answer that nobody would have thought of. Asaph is remembering this to help create an imagination... That when you're at the edge of the sea, there's nowhere to go, there is still a path that God has for you. And this path, shockingly, was right through the sea. Now, now we've read that and we've seen the movie, and, or at least you have, and, uh, and we've, we've meditated on it, had all these examples that God divided the sea, it's amazing. 
But in Moses' time, this hadn't happened yet. Nobody had seen anything like this. And very few have seen anything like this ever since. The, the pathway was beneath the water. Some amazing facts about this miracle, of course, is that the sea divided and they went across on dry ground. Not gushy bottom of the sea ground. That's pretty amazing. Some say, well, you know, Dennis, this wasn't as big a miracle as, as a lot of people make it. I mean, it was low tide at that point. They've done research and studies, and it was low tide when they would have gotten there. And there was a land bridge of some sort, and so they were really only in ankle-deep water when they walked across there. Oh, no, that's a, that's a would be a huge miracle if it happened that way. It didn't, but if it did, that would be an amazing miracle because the entire Egyptian army drowned in ankle-deep water. Horses and everything. I mean, that was amazing. Ankle-deep water. I mean, they had to work to die. No, it didn't happen that way. That's ridiculous. But what I want you to see is that God had a plan. And it was crystal clear what that plan would be. It wasn't just crystal clear to everybody. And sometimes, many times, most of the time, I could say maybe all the time, it's not really crystal clear what God's plan is for your next step. But what did Moses have to do? Go to the edge of the sea, and what did God tell him to do? Lift up his stick. Lift up his authority. His staff. He didn't speak to it. He could have, and that would have been fine. He lifted up his stick. That's what God told him to do. He did exactly what God said to it. seemed... Like that would have no impact whatsoever on the situation. But he lifted up his staff, and when he did, there it went. Most dramatic miracle you could imagine. And they walked across and were delivered on dry ground. Amazing. Now in going through this, Psalm 139, verse 5 in the Passion Translation again, caps off, how I want you to let this soak into you. Talking about God, he says here, you've gone into my future to prepare the way. And in kindness, you followed behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. Your hand of love upon my life, or with your hand of love upon my life, you impart blessing to me. Isn't that rich? God's gone before you. He's gone out ahead of you into your future to prepare a way for you. He has a plan, a good plan, a great plan. A plan for your family, a plan for your finances, a plan for your future. He's got a great plan for you. This is what he says, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans, not to harm you but to give you a hope and give you blessing and a future. Glory to God. That's the plan that He has. And so He tells us here the same sort of thing. God has gone before you into your future, and He's also come along behind you to keep your past from harming you. 
What we have to do is tie into his way of having that happen by having a selective memory, by having a God-inspired imagination, and by putting his promise and his word into our mouth. Nothing new about this. But as a reminder, this is what our conversation, our talk has to be. Not just in a morning of proclamation, but that sets the tone so that throughout the day we can corral our mind and our words to not betray us, but to bring blessing to us. Does that make sense to you today? So the days ahead are designed by God, but the movie in your mind is going to determine if you're going to connect to what he's conquered or not. This is how we do it. So I want to pray for you today because I believe the anointing of the Holy Spirit has been plowing the field, planting fresh seed to have some new growth, Start to rise up in your own soul. Glory to God. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. Lift your hands right up before the Lord. Say it right out loud. Lord Jesus, here I stand. I'm a believer. I believe that Jesus is Lord and Lord of my own life. And I receive. Your input today for my memories to flow in your directions. And that I have your mind, the mind of Christ, influencing what I remember, what I ponder, what I imagine, what I meditate on, what I talk about, what I put in my mouth in the name of Jesus. I declare that this year... The end of this year is crowned with abundance. And in Jesus' name, going into this upcoming year, my year is crowned with abundance, dripping with abundance. And I receive it in Jesus' name that me and my house serve the Lord and do so in harmony in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, shout a praise to the Lord. Glory to God. Did you receive something today? Now what this can do right this minute is flood into your own head and even into your body, bringing healing, restoration of any type. We lay hold on that for you. There is healing in your body, healing in your soul, healing in your household in the name of Jesus, healing in your finances. Oh yeah, God's saving grace affects our finances. We've already seen that right from the start of this service. Father, we receive it all for every person in Jesus' name. I command blessing on this house on this ministry, on Pastor Kelvin, in the name of Jesus, I release that fresh anointing and fresh presence on you to wash through you with 
the glory of God, the peace and power, the plan in Jesus' name. I release my faith for the glory and anointing of God to flood through Monica's body, through her soul, through every part of her life in the name of Jesus. And as every person that's a part of this house is represented right here in this leadership, I release that to each one of you. That this is a moment, a pivoting time for you to set some things in order and receive on a higher level than ever before. You came today to receive from God. This is your moment to receive. Say it out loud, I choose to receive. I choose for Jesus to have His way in me. And I receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Woo! Come on, shout a praise to the Lord. It's already been pointed out, and as you knew coming in, you saw a table. We have some of our books and uh, CD audio messages and a few things available. Uh, let it be a blessing to you. They make great gifts. You know, we've talked about each of these items at different times. Uh, probably still one of the greatest of all of them is Vicki's book on help. It's dangerous out here. And it's had an impact on so many people. Some of you have read it already. How many of you have read that book? Anybody read that book? A few of you have. Well, there's plenty of candidates that haven't. So I encourage you to go by the table. Let it bless you. It's really about God's divine protection and His intervention in some very critical moments, dangerous times that Vicki shares one after the other that she went through, we went through together, of God intervening. I mean, there was no question about it. It was just a God thing that God delivered us. And it is so faith-building and with some study material in it that will just bless you and help you. Uh, or encourage somebody you know. that will be good for them. We've also got a series on how to meditate in God's Word. I was talking about it to, uh, today briefly, but it's three parts, audio messages on meditation in the Word. Those things and other things that will be a real help and blessing to you or somebody you choose to give it to. So go by and take advantage of that. Let it bless you. Amen? Amen. Well, God bless you, Pastor. Thanks again, as always. Thanks, sir. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. Just remain standing. I'm not going to let you sit down. So like, whoa. Just remain standing. I'm going to get you out of here really quick. Just a couple of thoughts, you know, um, thinking about everything that Dennis, and obviously, you know, I don't tell... Dennis, you know, unless he follows us. But you guys know we've been on this trek for, I did a whole series, Dennis, you probably, you know, how the Holy Spirit connects just a few months ago on In This Life, you know, it was based on awesome. on that scripture that you used. No, you know. really? Yeah, I mean, we spent like weeks and weeks and weeks on In This Life, you'll have tribulation, but instead of tribulation, I put all the stuff we deal with, you Yeah. Know. But what I wanted to say, you know, this idea of, and this is something I've been on, you know, personally, I've been studying a lot, and I do both ways, you know, I go from the scientific side, but, but the idea of, of you know, the power that God has given us in, in controlling our thought process and how that affects everything. And, and, and again, we'll, we'll walk into some of this into January, you know, the ideas of neuroplasticity and all these things that are out there. But to bring it into the power of, of, of what, what Dennis is talking about, because you are what you think you are. I mean, that's just the bottom line, you know. And every, every religion, you know, I'm not here to make judgment, but every religion, you know, Eastern religions, and, I, and I've, I've studied all of them, I mean, I, I do, that's what I do, I, I like to see 
everyone has a version of this. It's interesting. You know, some call it the secret, and, and some call it the law of attraction, and some call it whatever you call it. But at the end of the day is what you put in your head is going to cause a couple things. And the, the big one is going to cause words. And as long as the thoughts, and this is one of the things, again, I'm not there to even try to talk about it at this moment as we're closing the service. But the idea of how to separate yourself from your thinking, because you're not really your thinking. You know, come on, if it's like a whole, you know, like if your thinking was a different person, you probably wouldn't even talk to them. Because they're all so annoying, they're always, and, and it really, you think about it, it's your thoughts just coming from all different directions. But when you learn what Dennis was preaching, and I'm so blessed because when I, for his book, we put his book in everywhere. His book is in Cuba. We've taken it to Ukraine, we've Mexico, we've given thousands. You remember, we used to give these away by the thousands. And it was how to meditate on God's words. And I'm telling you, as you move into, I think really, you know, I don't, somebody said, God give you a word. And actually he hasn't. I'm not, we're not done yet, but I haven't gotten a word for 2023. So I'm just going back to whatever he said last year or this year, right? But my point is your meditations, you know, are really at the end is going to create your environment. And if you wake up like, you know, if you wake up with that negativity and that sourness, your whole day is marked. Because, you know, one of the things is, you know, we are going to go through all kinds of stuff. And we've all, we're all going in, you know, in some version. But it's really our choice to see what, what we permit up here. Because, you know, from the news to wrong preachers, you know, <laughs> that's a good one. You know, you, you'll hear something. And, and you really need to pick what you, what you let in. You really need to be very picky. You know, like, you know what? And, and I've even chosen my fights. You know, sometimes, like, the family gets involved. And I'm like, you know what? I got my stuff to deal with right now. Y'all need to figure it out because I can't give my thought process to something that's going to, you know, in other words, take away from what I'm working on. So really think about next year because I think, you know, we talk, you know, I think the church avoids sometimes a lot the ideas of mental health and stuff and, and they need to be addressed.